All right, we're continuing our series on the subject of momentum, and we're in the book of Acts. I'm going to ask you to turn there, please, with me to the book of Acts, chapter number 7, and we're going to read a little bit in chapter number 7, and then the first verse of chapter number 8. Today's titled message is, Saul is Watching. It could be titled, Everyone is Watching. It could be titled, They are Watching, but it's, Saul is Watching. Two men walked out into a pier and began to fish. Side by side, they fished, and they both were catching fish. But one of the men was acting a little different. Whenever he would catch a big fish, he would throw it back. When he would catch a small fish, he would keep it. And this continued and continued and continued. And the other fisherman was noticing this. This guy, when he catches a big one, he throws it back. When he catches a small one, he keeps it. And so we asked him, he says, what, what, why do you do that? You throw the big ones back and you keep the little ones. Without hesitation, the man answered. He said, it's simple. I only have an eight-inch frying pan. It takes a while. You see, we, we're not careful. We'll look at life and we will determine how big it can become how deep it can go, and what we can do. By just simply saying, this is all I have. I can't do any more because this is all I have. I can't go any further because this is all I have. And yet God, over and over and over and over and over again, makes it very clear that He takes our little and He turns it into something big. He takes our paradigm... And he transitions it, he changes it into something much bigger. And so as believers in Christ and as followers of Christ, we take what little we have and we allow God to transition it into something much greater. That greater works than Christ did, we can do because he's gone to the Father. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? And so God is in the business of transitioning and changing us. We're all created with purpose and for purpose. And when something doesn't work properly, we either fix it, we have someone fix it, we trash it, or if you're a hoarder, you just keep it. And one day you'll be on TV. Satan wants to shrink our paradigm of purpose. But God wants to make it larger and bigger and more purposeful and more meaningful. We're there in Acts chapter number 7. We're going to begin reading there in Acts chapter number 7 at the very end of this. And last week we looked at this very verse. We looked at Stephen's death. And we saw that Stephen had resilience. Stephen had resilience because at the very end when people are stoning him, he is praying, Lord, receive my spirit. He wasn't calling down curses. He wasn't saying, you guys are going to get it. God's going to get you. He was saying, Lord, receive my spirit. My life, my body, my soul, everything is in your hands. Lord, receive my spirit. And then he said, forgive them. Just forgive them, Lord. Don't hold this against them. And so we're going to read there at the very end of chapter number 7, starting at verse 57. This is this crowd that had gathered and was so upset 
with Stephen. It says, At this they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices, and they all rushed at him and dragging him out into the city. They began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, and Saul approved of their killing him. This is our real first introduction to this guy named Saul. Stephen's faith was tested to the limit. Stephen's life was tested to the very end. And yet Stephen had been changed by the cross of Jesus Christ. The disciples had thought in their paradigm of eight inches that this Messiah was going to overthrow the Roman government. He was going to kick them out of here so the Jewish people could have their own nation and their own land and do their own thing. And that was never the plan of God in bringing the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to earth. It wasn't so that Christ would overthrow a government or a group or rulers. Christ came so that he would pay the price for my sin and your sin and the sin of the whole world. Christ is less concerned with a government than he is with your heart. He cares more about your heart than he does about the government. Because Christ in you is greater than the government. This is an election year. I know that's depressing in and of itself, isn't it? We're going to have to hear all these ads and all these people lying. I mean speaking. Hope Crossings is not a Democrat church or Republican church or an independent church or this church. We are a Jesus church. That's who makes the change in people's lives. And lives being changed is more important than a government being changed. So Stephen was tested to the very end, but he had already been changed by the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is the power of God to make dead people live. The cross has the power to alter our eternal destiny, which is what Guy was just speaking about a moment ago. The cross has the power we need to show Christ to the people around us. It's the cross working within us that causes us to say, I may be inconvenienced right now, but I'm still going to shine the life of Jesus Christ. This may not be a great situation right now, but I'm going to shine for Christ. And that's the power of the cross working in us. Is the power of the cross working in you? You might think to yourself, well, I was saved a long time ago. It worked in my life then. I'm good now. It worked in my life a long time ago. And yet the cross of Jesus Christ works in our lives every single day to change our paradigm from what it is to what God wants it to be. That we look at ourselves more the way Christ wants us than the way we had designed. And so this is our first glimpse at this guy named Saul, who then would become Paul, the Apostle Paul. Saul was a hater of anything that he didn't like. His paradigm was Jewish, 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 customs of Moses, all the law of Moses. That's his paradigm. And God was getting ready to blow that paradigm right out of the water. But Saul doesn't know that. Stephen doesn't know that. All the disciples, none of the disciples understand this. But Saul's life was getting ready to be changed. And as Christians, we want those who are not 
saved, those who are not Christians, to have an experience with God. We call it being born again, transformed, transitioned, hear from God. We want them to have an experience with God. But here we find that exposure is experience. And Saul is having his first exposure to Jesus Christ, watching Saul become a martyr. He was being exposed to Christ himself because he's realizing this guy that we're killing is asking God to forgive us. That's like weird. Or am I the only one that thinks that's weird? That's strange. That was Saul's first exposure possibly to Christ. We want people to experience Christ and yet we are their first exposure to him. Exposure is experience, but words alone are not enough. Words alone have never been enough. Saul had to see Christ, and he first saw Christ in Stephen. If exposure is experience, and experience is transformational. When we experience something, it transitions our lives. It is transformational to the very core and essence of who we are. Matthew 5, 13 verse 6 through 16 says, We are the salt and light. We're the salt of the earth, the light that God has given into this earth. And when people see our good works, they'll begin to glorify God in heaven. When they see our good works. Now, we know that Christ said we shouldn't do our works to be seen of men like that will puff us up. Like, hey, look at me. I'm doing something great. He said, no, just let them see what you do and they will glorify God. Let them see how you respond in every situation. Let them see how a Christian responds and they will begin to glorify God. And so our job is to go and make disciples. Go, therefore, into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'm with you always to the end of the age. As we go, we make disciples. So then how do we live? If our paradigm is going to shift from eight inches to what God wants it to be, if our paradigm is going to shift from small to large, from shallow to deep, how then do we live? We live to glorify God even when we get knocked down. Stephen was being knocked down. I'm not trying to do any pun here, but he was being knocked down, and yet he still glorified God. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Habakkuk. And uh, Habakkuk said it this way in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. He says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes in the vines, though olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Don't you know Stephen was pulling on that? When he was being stoned. Don't you know Stephen was just like, God, you are my strength. God, you are my strength. I'm going to glorify you. This is not good. This is not comfortable. But I'm going to glorify you. You see, where you are right now, in your family, where you work, where you go to school, there are Saul's watching you. Because anybody can be happy when everything's going great. It's easy then. We're like, yeah, it's great. But when we get knocked down, are we still smiling? When we get knocked down, are we still praising God? When we're going through a difficulty, are we still praising God? And Habakkuk made that decision. 
He said, though all this stuff is going on around me, this does not look good, yet I will glorify God. And I will rejoice in the one who is my Savior. And then he says this. He says, he's the one. The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to tread on the heights. He says, though everything around me is bad, he is the one who changes me. And Habakkuk goes to the very foundation of his life. He changes my feet. Not only he changes my feet, he changes my hands. Not only my hands, but what is in my head. And not only what is in my head, but in my heart. God is the one who changes me so that I can glorify him even when things aren't going bad. When we get knocked down, are we glorifying God? When your food doesn't come out at the restaurant just the way you wanted it, are you glorifying God? I mean, we're just going to make this practical for Tuesday, right? When somebody doesn't fulfill their promise to you at work, one of your subordinates or a boss, how are you responding? We begin to respond by saying, God is my strength. God is my strength. This mistake does not define me. This mistake does not destroy me. God is my strength. And he causes me to change. He changes my feet so that they could do something that they normally couldn't do. He changes my eight-inch frying pan to something bigger so that I can take on something bigger. He says he is the one that does that. He changes me. When's the last time God changed you? Now, if you had to take more than about five seconds to answer that question, don't tense up on me now. God is always wanting to change us, and God is always changing us. Yeah, but I'm in a tough time right now. He, he only changes people in the good times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want to live long in that fantasy. He takes all the things that happen in our life, and he says, I'm making you into something great. I'm causing you to do something that you could not normally do and you wouldn't have done if it had not been for the circumstances. Habakkuk understood that. He says, he makes my feet like that of a deer, so that I can go beyond what I thought I could. As I was thinking about this, I came across the most simple, basic illustration. It's like a third grader could come up with this. Your car. You could have a brand new car right off the showroom floor. But without gasoline, there's only one place it can go, downhill. Cars go great downhill without gas. But then that's it. You're going to need something that comes from outside of the car into the car to give it the power to go uphill. That's God in your life and in my life. Without God, where do we go? We go down. But when God comes into our life, all of a sudden, we're able to go uphill. All of a sudden, we're able to go against the flow. All of a sudden, we're able to go beyond what we normally could. Without God, we go downhill. With Him, we go uphill. How do, then do we live? We live day to day. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever we do, we do it as unto the Lord. Whatever we do, we do it as praise and worship to glorify God. Whether we make our bed, whether we cook a meal, whether we clean up our house, whether we serve someone, how we serve them, do we just kind of get by? I remember when we first started Hope Crossings, 
You know, we were just trying to survive. And uh, we are doing our best, but it was tough and all that. But I remember there was, there was a kind of a statement that was being made sometimes, well, we'll just wing it. And we put up with that for a little while. And then all of a sudden, it just started grating on me so bad. I had to outlaw that statement at Hope Crossings. I said, okay, listen, guys, we're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to wing it, and we're not going to say we're going to wing it. We're going to do this as unto the Lord, and we're going to do the best we can every Sunday, every day, whatever we do, it's unto the Lord. Raising our kids as unto the Lord. Whatever we do, it's unto the Lord. And so every day, whether we're Burger King or Ruth's Chris, we're there as unto the Lord. If we're working at Burger King or we're working at Ruth's Christ, we do it as unto the Lord. Do you hear me? Whatever we do. We're doing a math test in school. We do it as unto the Lord. When we're studying for the math test, we do it. Should have gotten some parental amens out of that one. (laughs) So whatever we do, we're saying Saul's are watching us. Your uncle is watching you. Your cousin is watching you. Your children are watching you. Parents, your children watch everything you do, and they learn from everything that they see. So we do it unto the Lord. We get up in the morning as unto the Lord. We get ready as unto the Lord. We dress ourselves as unto the Lord. We drive as unto the Lord. I, I am convicted. <laughs> there are no police officers in here, right? I, I am in the process of breaking a bad habit of texting while driving. I, I've just confessed both my awful sins before you. Lisa says, you're not supposed to be doing that. You're right. Put the phone down. And then she just threw salt on the wound. She said, you know, I know somebody that got a $500 ticket for doing that. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. We do it as unto the Lord. Are we perfect? No. But the waiter is watching you. Your boss is watching you. Lisa and I were at a, uh, a restaurant the other day, and, and we both um, ordered these six-ounce steaks, and so hers came out. It was burnt. It wasn't burnt, but it was burnt. <laughs> and so we don't usually ever send food back because you never know, so, but we sent it back, and then the next one came out. It was like cooked on one side and raw on the other side. I'm not sure what happened there, and so we just didn't eat it. <laughs> and thankfully, he had a great waiter. He was, he was apologetic, and he was like, would you like me to take that off the bill? I'm like, well, we didn't need it. But anyway, um, so they took it off the bill. But we were nice about it. We were pleasant about it. And I tipped him as though we did pay for it. I didn't tip him on one steak. tipped him on both because he served us. Actually, three steaks. I should have tipped. No, we're not. <laughs> Let's not take this too far. It's unto the Lord. Now, Stephen's deal was a big deal. 
But Saul is watching you and it's not a big deal. Saul is watching you. He's the waiter. You've heard me say this before. I'm going to say it again. If you invite your waiter or your waitress, your server, whatever they're called today, if you invite them to Hope Crossings, you better tip them good. Because now you've invoked our name. Okay? So if you're going to be mean to your waiter, waitress, server, you do not mention Hope Crossings. You, you tell them you're a Mormon or something. Anything, okay? Just. How then do we live? Lastly, even when things are going heavenly, every, when everything's great and awesome, Ephesians 1, 3 says, Praise be to the God of our Lord, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's easy for us to understand and know that, you know, we're on this planet and we see the limitations and we see all the stuff going on and it's easy for for us to just kind of get accustomed and, and acclimated to this planet and we get that. But also God has said, I've, I've blessed you in the heavenly realms. I've blessed you in a paradigm that you haven't even been to yet. I've blessed you in a paradigm that you've never even seen yet. I've blessed you in ways that you have not even... You, you're just starting to develop the comprehension of that realm. I've blessed you in the heavenly realms. So when we get knocked down, we glorify God and we say, hey, this knockdown doesn't define me. Every day, everything we do, we, we do it as unto the Lord to glorify him. And then we recognize, man, God's already blessed us in the heavenly realms. We're on this planet for a season, for a time period. But God's already blessed us. I don't want this to get too heavy right now, but if you've watched the news recently in Jackson County, there are people living right among us who are completely devoid of hope, and they're making bad decisions. They're devoid of hope, and God is the source of our hope. And so we're looking at where, who we are and where we're at, and we're saying, God, even if I'm not in a good situation, I'm going to glorify you with the Lord and God of my life. You are the sovereign Lord. And you cause me to be able to do what I cannot normally do. Every day, whether I'm up or whether I'm down, whatever thing ha- is happening around me, I'm going to do it as unto the Lord. Everything, everywhere I go. And I'm going to recognize God's already blessed me in the heavenly realms. He's already said, man, I've, I've already declared who you are. You're a child of God. That's right. You're a son of God, a daughter of God. He says, I've put my spirit within you. The word tells us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us. Man, that is awesome. That same spirit, that same spirit of energy, that same spirit of revelation, that same spirit of life. Jesus said, if you will come to me and drink the water that I give. He's using that water as an analogy. He said, if you'll come and drink the water that I give, you'll never thirst again. In other words, you'll never be thirsty for something else because the deep longing of your heart has been satisfied. Can I ask you today, has that deep longing of your heart been satisfied? See, it's not a matter of whether you've been in church or you are in church, though that's great, but has the longing of your heart been satisfied? That's what Christ came to do. You might have thought in a paradigm of eight inches that, well, you know, being a Christian is like, you know, going to church and you like doing, being good and, you know, maybe stop cussing and things like that and don't tell bad jokes and that's being a Christian. No, that's just being a better person. Being a Christian is when you say, God, I, 
I really need you to transform my life because it ain't working. And I know there's something more. I know there's something greater. Don't live with an eight-inch frying pan mentality. Allow God to expand you to say, you know what? What you're doing now, it may be good, but it could never be as good as it could be without Christ. With Christ, we become who God wants us to become. And we are always becoming what God wants us to become. Have you met Christ? Not have you met the Baptists and the Pentecostals and the Methodists. And the, no, have you met Christ? Because he's the one that transitions and changes our lives to be what he wants them to be. Which is whole and forgiven and joyful and filled with peace. And there's trouble and there's difficulties and there's bad days and there are great days and there's awesome love and there's power. That's the life God has for you. And as is his spirit speaking to you right now about saying yes to him, about saying yes to him. If the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now about, you know what? There's a pull there on your heart, and you recognize this is what I need to do. I need to surrender my life to Christ. Then let's do it right now. Why wait? It's not worth waiting for. Do it right now. Let's do it right. What is stopping you from doing it right now? Is there anything good enough to stop you from surrendering your life to Christ right now? Well, let's do it. Let's surrender our life to Christ right now. Let's pray. Let's pray.